How are you guys doing today? Hey, you know, when a, a, a leader makes a statement publicly uh, about, you know, the outcome of something or whatever, they have to, you know, if it doesn't go the way they thought, you have to come out and say, this is what happened. And last week, I really put myself out there thinking prophetically that I was really uh, going to see God move uh, against the Seahawks. <laughs> what did you think I was talking about? Uh, against the Seahawks uh, and, and God's team, the 49ers would prevail, but sometimes evil wins and you have to be able to just come out and say, Seahawks fans, we're not worthy. You guys got the victory. So if you're a Seahawks fan, come on, cheer for your team. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I never want to be a sore loser. Like I think with the Niners, uh, it, 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 we were injured and we had a lot of things and we'll be back. So uh, uh, I'm excited. <laughs> Man, duck football. How about that? Yes. Yes, I had a couple of, uh, of men of God over to the house yesterday, and we, we, uh, we had a feast. We had buffalo wings. We had, Bethany made some buffalo chicken dip. We had pizza. You know, we were eating healthy, and we got to watch the ducks prevail. It was a wonderful thing. I had prepared my spirit. I just said, Lord, you know, the ducks could, could lose. I don't care. I do care. I want them to win, but I just want to just watch Pac-12 football after dark, you know, just watch the ducks go. And so that was a blessing, wasn't it? It was awesome. Those of you that have been journeying with us at Joy Church over this past year, you've heard me just the dark night of the soul I've gone through as the ducks was canceled. Yeah. And uh, uh, anyways, it was good to be back. So good to be with you guys today. I just want to to do something that they won't want me to do, but I'm going to do it anyways. I want to honor some people in the house. Steve and Shelly Kaler, would you guys stand up really quick? Uh, Just give a wave. Let me just tell you about these guys. Uh, Steve and Shelly. So... Shelly and Lori Harpam are sisters. Shelly, are you the older sister? No. Younger sister? We don't talk about that. I've already made a faux pas today. Okay. I was going to make a joke, but I, it's, it's okay. No, I won't make that joke. But uh, Steve and Shelly led Hope Church in Japan for 30, 30 years, planted a church, raised up a wonderful church, and I we just want to honor them today. They are... Uh, Friends of our house, they've been praying for us and been a part of our journey. We've not had too much of an opportunity. We want to get more involved with Hope Church in Japan, but I just want to honor them. Thank you guys for being here today. So good to have you guys. Love you. Appreciate you and everything you've done and continue to do, and I'm excited for the future. So it's awesome. We have some open staff positions here, so we'll talk after. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Hey, when the talent comes in the room, you got to, you know what I'm saying? Like, you got to be ready to go. Uh, we're going to move forward today, and um, uh, we're going to move on in our series, Brutally Honest. We started this last week, and how many of you know we're in a season, it's been a little tumultuous, and if you've been uh, living your life in 2020, it's been up, down, all around, you know, uh, kind of crazy. Anybody? And, uh, and, and there's a lot of things that, maybe you've had a great year, that's, that's great, but for many people, there's been a, a lot of times of just a complaint of the soul, just kind of like, God... What's going on? And, you know, in life, it's easy to get in this thing of, trapped into this thing of being brutally honest with other people and kind of unloading your stuff on other people. Uh, Sometimes we call that marriage, right? (laughs) Where you're like, I'm going to unload, you know, on my spouse. And, and, uh, but the reality is that it's not 
No other person can really be that friend of your soul. It says in 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. He's the one that wants to bear your burdens. He wants us to bring our prayer, bring our complaint, bring our uh, even imprecations, right? Imp- like imprecatory words of, against our enemies. And he wants us to be honest, in fact, brutally honest with him. He's big enough to hold on to those prayers and that's where we're to go. He's our source for that. God cares about us so deeply. Amen? Amen. And this is the proper response of a Jesus follower, to bring your cares, your worries, your complaints to God in prayer and in worship, as we talked about last week, kicking this off so that God can work in the situation, but sometimes even more importantly, so he can work in you. He can work in us. Sometimes, uh, I hate saying stuff like this because it comes across like something you'd hear on Caleb in the 90s, but Sometimes he calms the storm and other times he calms you, you know. <laughs> Ugh, it just hurt me to say it. It just, it, just, it just felt like a Hallmark movie when I said it. You know what I mean? It's a little too goody two-shoes for me there. But we're living in some fearful and tumultuous times, but God is with us. How many of you ever just wished you had a manual to, like, get through stuff, right? I mean, I remember when we had Evie, our first daughter, it was like the, the midwife we had her at a birth center and she was, she actually wasn't supposed to, but she helped us strap the, the car seat in the car. Our midwife was corn fed. Let me just say that. She was tough. And uh, she strapped it in. She's like, listen, girly man, get out of the way. She had a lot more facial hair than I did. And so she strapped in. I'm just kidding. Please don't leave the church. Okay. I'm just having fun. This is second service. Okay. So she strapped it in and I'm like, wait a second. No, no, no. We don't, we don't leave. We live here now. We don't know how to keep this baby alive. She's like, no, you have to go, sir. No, we, we're just here now. We live with you guys. We don't know what to do. We need a manual, right? And in life, many times we're, we're looking for the manual, but sometimes that doesn't even work out. I mean, it reminds me of the two explorers that were exploring this deep, dark jungle uh, at, one, at one point on a safari, and suddenly this enormous, ferocious lion jumps out in their path. Anybody see that video of the guy walking backwards from the cougar? That was cool. Oh, my gosh. You know he's a millennial, and I am too, so I'm going to throw shade, but who like, decides to become a documentarian at that moment? Right? Like if you're under attack by wildlife, oh, I'm going to make a film. Here I come, Sundance. You know, I mean, it's just, I don't get it. But anyways, this ferocious lion jumps out in front of these explorers, and the first one says, keep calm to his friend. Remember what we read in that book about wild animals? If you stand perfectly still and look the lion in the eye, he will turn and run. Sure, replied his companion, you've read the book and I've read the book, but what if he hasn't read the book? (laughs) Sometimes you can have the perfect answer, but the circumstance is a little bit more challenging and different than what you thought it was going to be. It doesn't actually play out the way that you thought it was going to play out. And today, as we talk about being brutally honest, we're going to look into something as we face fears, we face things going on in culture and society and the the winds of change and the storms of life and all of that, we're going to look at the fact that sometimes you just need some rest, some refreshing and restoration of your soul, and we can find that in God. This is a beautiful promise of Scripture that we have a God that actually cares not just about you doing the right thing, but he cares that you're okay in the midst of that. I mean, think about the difference there. Because how many of you know we don't always do the right thing? Wow, we have a lot of liars in this church. You're like, I can see you. Come on, participation. Everybody needs to get a gold star today. We don't always do the right thing. But, but God loves you and cares for you even in the middle of that. Jesus in Matthew 11, 
He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. What a beautiful promise of following Jesus, that he gives you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And this has so many applications. One that comes to mind is that we bring the burden of our sin and shame and condemnation to the foot of the cross and we unload it and Jesus imputes to us righteousness and grace and the love and the goodness of God. Isn't that amazing that you get to unpack the burden of sin at the cross and that by the blood of Jesus that he carries that, he carried it upon himself. Scripture says he became sin for us and we, receive, we become the righteousness of God in Christ, that beautiful exchange but also we bring the burden of our soul, the complaint, the, the challenges, the circumstances. We come to Jesus and he says, give it to me. I'm stronger than you and I'm going to take that burden from you. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. What a beautiful promise of rest for our soul. And today as we're going through this series, Brutally Honest, we're going through the prayers of the Psalms. We're looking at these prayers that were from ancient times, many of them written by a man named David, and the one we're going to look at today is written by David. These honest prayers that were turned into songs that people would recite and quote and sing in, their, uh, in, the, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and people would use them, and, and up to this present day, even thousands of years later, still widely used and, and widely celebrated and, and, and giving great comfort to people. Today we're going to look at Psalm 23. How many of you are familiar with Psalm 23. Psalm 23 and John 3.16 are the two verses that people, everybody knows whether, they, whether or not they have religion or not. You know what I mean? It's like if you've ever gone to the bathroom in a Christian's house, you look up <laughs> and it's on the wall, you know? <laughs> Psalm 23. There's a Reader's Digest, right? A good, better Homes and Garden and, and uh, you know, Psalm 23. So everybody knows it. You know, it, it's, it's interesting uh, with being a pastor, which just heads up, if you ever become a pastor, and some of you will someday, you're like, not me, Lord. Oh, it'll happen. I, I believe it. Uh, I don't recommend it, but it will happen. Um, <laughs> if you ever become a pastor, don't tell anybody. Just don't tell them. When I'm out in public, people are like, what do you do? I, you know, I'm like a manager of an organization. What do you do? I'm a pastor. And then all of a sudden, people get religion. When you tell them you're a pastor, it doesn't matter what they were going on before. All of a sudden, it gets weird because people feel guilty. They, they're nervous. People start doing this. I mean, they're like doing it wrong. You're like, wait, it's that's you're doing it backwards. I'm not even Catholic, but you did it wrong. I was with uh, David Finley. He took me to the Price is Right. Uh, remember when the Price is Right came to the Holt Center a couple years ago? Well, we were there. Uh, so you can be guilty. You can be uh, jealous of that. So we were at the Price is Right. We ran into a friend of David's uh, from work or something, and this really nice lady. She had a lot to drink at this point, so she's a little tipsy, and she was um, invent. You know, she was uh, really cussing a lot, and she was dropping the f bomb. I mean, she was nuking the f bomb. She was really going for it. It was more censored than actual words, and so. David, uh, which I need to you know, still get back at him for this, as she's going off, F, 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 F. So all of a sudden, she, he goes, oh, this is my pastor, Jake. <laughs> that lady got saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost right at that moment. <laughs> Her whole demeanor changed. And, she was, and then she was like, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. <laughs> I'm like, you're fine. You're good. You're good. You know, you're good. You're good. So don't tell people you're a pastor. But but, you know, with verses like Psalm 23, John 3, 16, everybody knows them, whether they're like saved or a Christian or whatever. 
It's like, the, they're like, the, these are the verses, right? The Lord is my shepherd. How many of you are familiar with this? But it's a beautiful prayer, a beautiful psalm that has so much value. It's helped people all throughout history. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Awesome. That was awesome. We don't normally do that in church, but that was cool. It felt like a, a, a kind of like cultish a little bit, but cool. It felt cool <laughs> to read it together. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? It's, it's such an awesome psalm, and, we, and we're familiar with it, but today we're going to look into it and, and unpack it because there's so much rich, incredible uh, meaning here. You know, this is a, a psalm that maybe you've been in the dark night of the soul. Maybe you've been on your, a sick bed or a deathbed or a lo- lo- loss of a family member, whatever it may be, and it brings such great comfort. Bethany told me about her grandfather. Uh, her family moved from Texas to California to basically be there for the, for the death of her grandfather, and then he was uh, continuing to live for nine more years, praise God. You know, he just kept on going, but remembering being in the hospital with him when he would be on you know, numerous times of potentially passing away, and he'd be quoting, reading it, and reciting it over and over, Psalm 23. You know, many times when I'm afraid, when I'm upset, I'll just repeat these words because they're so beautiful. And we're going to look into them today. The context of this passage, it's written by a man named David. And if you haven't seen season one, uh, David is a, uh, a guy that's a pretty big deal in the Bible. It's, he's from David and Goliath. He's the one that had a sling and killed the giant. He became king of Israel. But when he was a boy, he was the youngest son in his family. His, his dad, Jesse, had a bunch of sons. Um, some scholars actually believe that David was an illegitimate son because when a prophet comes to Jesse, uh, they don't get David. It's almost like he doesn't count. But God says, I actually want him, so go get him. Don't you have another son? Isn't that great that sometimes you, you don't, <laughs> nobody else thinks you're worthy or anything, but God says, come get him, right? Now I can preach about that, but I'm not going to. Okay, so David, he, he's a shepherd. His dad, because he's the youngest son, has sent him to, to tend sheep, so he spends a lot of time in his early days as a shepherd up you know, on the backside of a mountain and before he kills Goliath, before he becomes a king of Israel. And David is the one that penned these words and, and he has this context of being a shepherd. But it's interesting that David refers to God or the Lord as his shepherd. And the reason why is because we hear that and we're, we're comfortable with it. Again, we've seen it on the, the bathroom wall. We've read it, we've said it, we've repeated these words Shepherd to us doesn't have much meaning, but if you go back thousands of years, being a shepherd was actually considered to be the lowest of the low when it came to a profession. I have no idea what the correlation would be in our day and age. I'm not going to even guess, but basically it was like you're a second-class citizen if you're a shepherd. It was looked at being a dirty profession. Again, it was always given to the youngest son in the family. It wasn't honored. Um, If you want to get a little geeky back in biblical history, if you go back to when Joseph is in Egypt and his father Jacob is going to bring the whole family down, Joseph says, Dad, don't tell Pharaoh that we're shepherds. Don't tell him about the shepherd thing because it was offensive. It was like, ugh, shepherds, we don't want them here. 
right? We don't want them coming into Egypt. So tell them you're ranchers. Tell them you're, you're cowboys. You know what I mean? Dad, get your best Clint Eastwood, you know, thing going and a thousand yard stare. You know, come on in. But don't say you're a shepherd. And so it's interesting that David refers to God, the highest of the high, the king of kings, as a shepherd. It wasn't a, profession, a respected profession. It was always given to the youngest. David was assigned to that. And so David says the Lord is a shepherd. It's interesting. Later in history, but still interesting, Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. The hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, he says again. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. A good shepherd isn't in it for the money. A good shepherd is there because they care about the flock. Jesus is actually speaking even prophetically about the fact that very soon after he says these words, he's going to actually sacrifice himself as the shepherd for us, the flock. He's going to give his life at the cross. That he's not a hireling. He wasn't in it for himself. He was in it for the people that he cared about, in it for us, in it for the sheep. And this is so powerful because this image of a shepherd that we find in Psalm 23, again, we see it in the New Testament with the ministry of Jesus. It's so powerful because it expresses the depth of God's love, the depth of his humility, that the greater would take the position of the lowest and come down and serve as a shepherd. It expresses the commitment and it expresses the sacrifice of God and this is how God wants you to understand that his posture towards you is of such depth of love, commitment, and grace, and humility that he would come and serve you as your shepherd. Not getting anything out of it for himself, not for the money, not for that. It's for the love and the commitment to us. Isn't that beautiful? David says, this is who the Lord is. A deeper theological understanding of the humility that God expresses. You know, the Christian faith is unique. If you study it among worldviews, there's no other religion where God takes the lowest position. In every other religion where it's man-made, it always is that we are bad, God is perfect, and, and basically, you know, we're always climbing to him. We're doing something to climb to God. Our faith is the only one in which God comes down into our situation. Just think about that for a second. In Philippians 2, you can learn about the emptying, the kenosis, the, the humbling of, of Jesus. He was at the right hand of the Father. He comes down. This imagery is about the shepherd. We hear it. We're like, oh, a shepherd. Cool, cool. No, he's saying he's a, a servant. It's not a good role, but it's the heart of God for us. The Lord is my shepherd. That's his posture towards you and I. He goes on. He says, I lack nothing. When you accept the ministry of the Father, the ministry of God to be your shepherd, to lead you and guide you, you can move into a position of trust and understand that he has you in his hands and he takes care of every one of your needs. C.S. Lewis said this, he that has God and everything else has no more than he that has God alone. I love that quote. I say it to myself many times when I feel like I'm lacking something to go, wait a second, I am led by the shepherd. I don't lack, I lack nothing. And I just want to talk, just be real with you today. You know, in our culture, we've accepted a lie. And I would say this is impacting the church. It's impacting society at large. But we've accepted this lie that Jesus is not enough. That a relationship with Jesus, a pure relationship with Jesus, where you're saved by grace through faith, 
Or did I get it wrong? <laughs> By faith through grace? Either way. But it's one of those. That that's not enough. That there's more that I need. I need more. I need a, a relationship to satisfy me. I need a job. I need a promotion. I need, a, I need a, you know, a pill. I need to go to therapy. I need something other than Jesus that will fulfill and satisfy me. And this is actually the core. This is the crack where sin comes in. If you go back in, into the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, here's Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They have everything. They have a relationship with God. Satan comes to Eve. We know the story. It's the two naked people and a talking snake story, right? Everybody with me here? We wonder why people think the Bible's weird. It is weird. <laughs> I actually don't think that Eve was actually looking at a talking snake. If you study it out in Hebrew, the word serpent there, it's actually nachash. How'd you like that right there? <laughs> I got to use that Bible college degree sometimes, you know, but like that pronunciation, Steve, was that all right? Yeah, I'm a Hebrew. Yeah, I want to get some chutzpah. <laughs> Anyways, nakash, the serpent means shining one. It's probably... Satan as a, an angel of God, which he was, an angel of light, this being who they would know being in the Garden of Eden. If you want to study this out more, you can read Michael Heiser and geek out with me on it. It's pretty cool. But actually, Eve doesn't act surprised when she sees this serpent, this snake, the shining one, uh, because probably she knew him. Uh, and so then he begins to lie to her. He says, well, has God said? It begins to create a seed of doubt that there's more, that you're missing something. How many of you know as human beings, we're always, we're really really curious. Like, maybe the grass is greener on the other side. I'm in this marriage, but man, it could be, I, maybe Sally Sue or Jimmy Joe would be better for me. You know what I mean? Not Jimmy John. The sandwiches are good. I'd be in danger if that was the competition. Or Jersey Mike, you know. Why does every sandwich shop sound like a guy who's going to stab you in an alleyway? <laughs> it's Jersey Mike. I want the money, Ricky. Come on, you know. I'm going to go get Jimmy John. He's going to come and get you. <laughs> but every place of sin begins with a lie that Jesus isn't enough. God isn't enough. And there's something you're missing out on. It's where sin starts. And here's the reality, you guys. We live in a fractured, broken world by sin that will not fully be fixed until Jesus comes back and sits on the throne. Even as a Christian, you're going to live with an itch you can't scratch. What is that? It's the fact that you were created for another world, that you long for this kingdom. The scripture says that all creation groans for the re re resurrection, the reconciliation, that God made a good world that was broken by sin, and it will remain broken even as the kingdom of God is here but not yet fully realized. And until Jesus comes back and sits on the throne, we're always going to feel a little bit dissatisfied. There's always going to be a bit of curiosity. Why do I not ever feel like the radio dial is exactly tuned into the right station? and I, I need to fulfill myself and fill myself with possessions and relationships and pride and status and all this kind of stuff. But the scripture comes and Jesus comes and says, listen, I have life for you. I have an answer for you. And you're going to feel that itch. You're going to want to scratch it. But listen, I will satisfy you. I will fulfill you. You're going to lack nothing. Yeah. But there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 it's now, but it's not all the way realized. This is what the kingdom of God is like. I want to just greet our people online. I forgot to say hi, Joy Church Online. Good to be with you guys on live stream today. There's a, an element that we're fulfilled now, but we're also, that was weird, huh? Yeah, my wife's laughing at me. I went into like television mode. Hey, everybody out there. Send your checks to Shiny Watch Ministries. One, two, three, Golden Throne Drive, Tyler, Texas. All right, everybody okay? Everybody all right? All right. 
There's this sense that I need something else, but the reality is, no, you you need Jesus, and he's the answer, and it's going to it's not going to be 100% okay until he comes back. But we're, we're in his kingdom and we're, we're, we're contending with God. He's actually called us to be part of the solution rather than just part of the problem. We could preach on that all day. I'm not going to. We're going to move on. But I lack nothing. But it goes beyond the spiritual. It goes beyond the emotional, even into the practical. That God actually takes care of your physical, practical, tangible needs. You know, we, we go out to eat a lot. <laughs> And uh, I always tease my kids, I mean, probably almost every meal, because dad, being a dad, you have to get revenge somehow, you know, and dad jokes and all that. So I'll always be like, all right, who's paying for it today? Ooh, you know, <laughs> Jack, are you going to pay for it? Evie, are you going to pay for it? And they're like, no, dad, no. And then we always end up paying for it. They've never once paid for it, ungrateful little brats, you know. <laughs> but I'll tease them with the bill, you know, and say, you, pill it, uh, you pay it. But then I always end up taking care of it. Here's the reality with our kids. They lack nothing. They lack nothing. And they live in this carefree mentality, which is exactly how I want them to be. Although now as they age, we're trying to tell them, hey, you need to understand something. You are very blessed and highly favored to be part of this family. You know, how many, how many parents, you never thought you'd pull out the kids in Africa line? <laughs> but it comes out now at dinner. Eat your goulash. There's children in Africa that don't have anything to eat, you know, and you, you just do all the stuff you thought you'd never do. And I'll, but my kids, they, they lack nothing, and we, 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 we're happy about that. We want them to understand mom and dad have got it. You're going to be fine. You're not, you don't have to live in worry and be consumed with where's my meal going to come from, who's going to pay. What? No, God has it. He's our shepherd. When you trust in him, you can live in this posture of trust. Now, it doesn't mean you're always going to get what you want. Come on but God's going to provide what you need. And, you know, even, even in our, we're, we live in an affluent society. Let's just be real. You know, if you have running water, a toilet, and the internet, you live better than kings and emperors of the past, okay? Just being real. We do, and we live very affluent, uh, but so we don't necessarily live with this hand-to-mouth kind of a thing, although many people around the world do, and we're just, it's a blessing, counted as a blessing that we are, are very uh, rich, you know, and affluent. But, but even in that, God wants you to, to let go of this thing of trusting and resources and all of that where you think, I've got to provide for myself. No, let's trust him. Let's be generous. Let's not be stingy with the blessings God's given to us. He's not calling you to have empty hands. He's just calling you to have open hands. And be a ble- we're blessed to be a blessing because we lack nothing. He's our shepherd. We lack nothing. Let's move on. David goes on. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. When I read this verse, it reminds me of Ireland. And Bethany and I have had an opportunity to go to Ireland a few times. Anybody else had an opportunity? Pretty awesome. Yeah, I've been to Ireland. Um, People go, what's it like? I'm like, well, um, look out your window. If you live in Oregon, it looks like this. (laughs) It's like a bunch of rain on a bunch of green. You know what I mean? And that's, you you have it. If you just, you just need to put a castle in your yard and you live in Ireland, you know? And have somebody come by and go, oh, top of the morning to you. Whatever, you know, it's, it's all. Uh, but it's a wonderful place, incredible place. But I always think when I read this verse, and maybe you're with me, I always picture the, these fluffy white sheep frolicking on these downy green, emerald green hills, you know, of grass. And I think of Ireland and the, the wonderful grass and, you know, makes me lie down in green pastures beside the still waters. But that's not at all what David has in mind because I've been to Ireland, but I've also been to Israel where this 
actually takes place. And I've even been in the Judean hills. And Mark and I stood there in the Judean wilderness in the hills where David, outside, we weren't near Bethlehem. We were a little bit, a few miles away, but we were there. And it doesn't look like Ireland. It doesn't look like Oregon. It looks more like Palm Springs. <laughs> it looks more like, actually, it looks exactly like Palm Springs. It looks like the desert. And David, uh, it, what, what, what's going on here is he's in this dry, rocky, dangerous place. We find out that David actually, as a shepherd, has to kill a lion. He has to kill a bear. Like, how, how manly is that? You know, some of you hunters are like, oh, I do that all the time. I put moose urine on my face, and I go out into the wilderness, and I, you know, and I attract animals to me, and I slay them, you know. That's cool. I just watch Discovery Channel. That's, you do you, boo, but... <laughs> David is out in this rocky place and they'd have to take their sheep and go find grass. But what David is describing when he describes God leading to these green pastures and quiet waters, he's saying God is going to lead you through whatever he needs to lead you through and get you to the place where you're going to be okay. And not just okay, but find abundance and find a place to just lie down. I mean, think about the posture being described here. It's not alert. It's not on guard. It's saying you're lying down. One day I was, I was thinking about this. I, I think I was relaxing, uh, which I've, I've done a few times in my life. Uh, not much, but I was relaxing one day and I was looking up into the sky and I thought, there is really no greater uh, extravagance than an, a lazy afternoon where you literally ex, ex, waste or spend the world's most valuable currency, which is time. The one thing that you can never make more of, never get more of. When you spend time freely, you're literally extravagantly spilling out the world's greatest resource. Think about that. And this is what David is talking about, that God leads you to a place where you literally lie down in the grass, completely at peace, completely at rest, not defensive, letting your guard down. He says about the quiet waters. This is a picture of a life that's free from chaos and disorder. Chaos and disorder which we see all around us in our culture and in the world right now. And it's been this way always. It's not like times people say, well, this is worse than before. No, it's just different, but it's the same. There's nothing new under the sun. It's chaos and disorder. In ancient times, uh, the water represented a place of chaos. It was the disordered uh, primordial sea that the when you look in Genesis and it says the spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep and God begins to bring order out of chaos. He begins to separate light from darkness, begins to separate the earth from the sea. It's a picture of the order and the, the creation that God brings. It's actually a depiction of our calling as Christians that we are sent into a world of chaos and we're actually there to bring order and bring, uh, establish you know, uh, the kingdom of God. But the water was always in chaos, and even in ancient people's minds, the water and the sea represented you know, a place where it was uh, total danger. And so when God speaks to David or speaks through these words, and David is describing quiet waters, he's talking about the fact that God has a portion of peace for you and a place of order and a place of stillness where you can rest and receive the goodness of God and enjoy this creation and enjoy what God has given to you. We might read this, these words about green pastures and quiet waters and think, well, it doesn't feel very peaceful out there. And maybe it doesn't, but there's a place of rest for your soul, a place of rest that is available to you as you trust in the shepherd. And you see how this all builds? When we know that God is a shepherd, we recognize I lack nothing, then we can lay down, we can rest, we can enjoy the order and the peace that comes as we follow our shepherd. David goes on and he finishes this little line of this verse. He says, he refreshes my soul, refreshes my 
soul. Just like your body needs to get refreshed, your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, also needs to be refreshed. Now, the word refreshed indicates that at some point it was fresh to begin with, right? For something to be refreshed, it had to get freshed in the first place. William Shakespeare and I make up words, right? It's, I feel like we're on the same level of uh, the English language, so we can just <laughs> work together. No, I don't at all. But for something to be refreshed, it has to be fresh in the beginning. That means that at some point there was a fresh place, but if you don't get refreshed, it can get ugly and get stagnant and get nasty. Now, one of our favorite places, and we have some friends here that live in this area of the country or spend time there, one of Bethany and my favorite places to go on vacation and just to hang out and a place we often fantasize about moving to if you guys get mean to us is the Coachella Valley. <clears throat> Nobody laughed. That was actually too honest, brutally honest. No, I'm just teasing. But put this picture up. So this is uh, the Salton Sea. And uh, you can see my children here. This is a couple years ago. They're holding their noses uh, because it stinks really bad there. And I'll tell you why. So this is the Salton Sea. It's down in the Coachella Valley, really close to uh, uh, what's that place? Salvation Mountain, is that what it's called? And Slab City, this is down in the southern part of Coachella Valley. Many, many, many years ago, I think at around the turn of the century or maybe early 1900s, the Colorado River uh, overflowed its banks and it filled this ancient basin with this giant, uh, huge, gigantic sea. It's called the Salton Sea. As a kid, I would look at maps. I actually have a giant, like, Rand McNally map because I'm a geek and I was homeschooled. Come on. And uh, I would look at the map, and I would look at Southern California, and I always wanted to go to the Salton Sea because I was like, what is it? Why is it there? I didn't know. And so when we went down to the Coachella Valley and Palm Springs area, Indio area, I really wanted to see it, and I, I was, like, excited to go. So the Colorado River overflowed its banks. It, it filled this basin, and it created this massive body of water, and it was this pure blue you know, crystalline sea. And people started to go there and they, they actually built cities and places along the, 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 the lake there or the sea. And it was really popular. People would boat there, water ski. It was like a holiday destination. And, and uh, it was this really, really cool place. But the problem is water doesn't flow in there anymore. Once it got filled, it didn't get, it got freshed, but it doesn't get refreshed. It doesn't rain very much here at all, if, if ever. Barely, very, very little rainfall. No, no uh, streams or rivers, fresh water flows in here. And what happens to a body of water, no matter how fresh it is when it starts, if it doesn't get refreshed? It gets stagnant. This water now has become so toxic with salt and horrible that it's killing all of the fish. These villages that were these once flourishing towns filled with people laughing and boating and having fun are these weird, crazy, post-apocalyptic looking trailer trash villages. No joke. We went into one and we were like, bada bing, 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 ding, ding, ding. And we're like, we're out of here. <laughs> one guy came out with one eye and a shotgun. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> you know? We're out of here. We're on vacation. So we, we got out of there. But the water is, is so toxic that it's killing all the fish, which is why my kids are like, ooh, because it smells awful. And if you walk, you see the white sand, that beautiful white sand? Guess what it is? Bones. It's little fish bones and everything. And if you walk out there, you crunch, crunch. How many of you are like nauseous now? <laughs> so it smells like decay. It smells like rotting fish. And there's rotting fish carcasses all over because as the water recedes, it's killing everything. This is what can happen even in your own life, even in your own soul. You got freshed. You were fresh at one point in your relationship with Jesus. 
But like we sang today, I want to fall in love with you again. Can I tell you something? Many of you have known Jesus. Many of you have followed Jesus for many years. You got to choose to follow him today, tomorrow, and the next day, and continue to fall in love and continue to be refreshed. He refreshes my soul. Contrast that with our own beloved Crater Lake. Next slide, please. There we go. How many of you had an opportunity to go here? How many of you like Crater Lake a little bit more than the Salton Sea? Let's just, yeah. People go, they're beautiful in their own way. No, this one doesn't smell like rotten dead fish. They're not, they're not the same. So Crater Lake is fed by snow and rain. Uh, every year, it's consistently, constantly refreshed. The water's so clean and clear, you can see down into it for hundreds of feet. It's the most beautiful one. It's a natural wonder of the world. We love it. It's amazing. Every time I go there, I'm like, wow! Is that your experience? This is how I feel about God, too. It's like every time I come, I'm like, look at it. You know what I mean? It's so cool. It never gets old. And this water is so pure and so clean and so amazing. Uh, we, we, we've never been, we've never gone to this side of the lake, but this last trip in the summer we went and you can see Wizard Island there and we got to see this grand overview. Why is it so pure and clean? Because it constantly gets refreshed. And this is what God will do for you. This is what God wants to do in your life, in your heart, is continually refresh you by his Holy Spirit. So you don't get stagnant, you don't get salty, and you don't get stanky. How many of you know that a lot of people in life, if you look around at your family and they're always going like this, it's because your attitude stinks, your spirit stinks, you're negative, you're consumed with the things of this world, and you need to get refreshed by the Spirit of God. We're going to finish up with this, and then we're going to do the rest of these verses next week, but says, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Isn't it great to know that God will guide you in life, that he's going to provide guidance for you? One of the things that blows my mind is how anybody ever lived without navigation apps. I remember as a kid, you know, some of you have lived through this, and I just don't, I, you're like amazing to me. I actually have so much respect. You're like Lewis and Clark. <laughs> I, I literally use navigation apps to get to places in my town here. I'll be like, oh, we're going to, you know, Springfield. Maybe we need to dial in the navigation app. Anybody else want to be humble and admit that this is where you are? Yeah, we all do it now, huh? Because we're too lazy to to actually learn, you know, where things are. Uh, And I'm with you here. So I don't know how people live without maps. I actually remember we took a vacation one time to Vancouver Island. We we did the ferry, went up to Vancouver Island. And uh, my dad and mom got lost and they were having a a fight. Uh, We had our Suburban with a trailer and they were fighting back and forth. And eventually my dad's like, let's take our kids back to the States and give them a vacation that they can remember and like slammed his hands down. So he made it about Canada. He made it about a national conflict, but really they were just lost. But I agree with the sentiment, that being said. So (laughs) the best part about God's guidance though, just like navigation app, is that it's relevant and specific. It's not just general. God will actually guide you along the right paths. James chapter 1, verse 5, he says this, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you lack wisdom, which we all do from time to time, and for me all the time, you should ask him, God, I need help. I need you to show me the way. I need you to show me what to do in this situation. It doesn't always mean it's going to be easy or clear or pain-free, but he will give it to you, with, you know, give, give you that generous gift, his wisdom, he's going to give it to you. He'll guide you. 
But then this verse ends with this phrase, for his name's sake. See, we make things very selfish sometimes, and that's, that's understandable. It is about us in the sense that God's going to guide you along your unique path and your gifts and callings. We, we do next track. We help people figure out how are you wired, how are you designed so you can serve. And, you know, it's, it's kind of about us, that kind of individual thing. But, but actually, it's bigger than that. God also guides us not just for you, but for him. Because when you do the right thing, when you fulfill what he's called you to be, he gets glory. His name gets glory. When the world looks at the church and looks at you as a follower of Jesus, living and operating in your God-given abilities and and fulfilling the destiny that God's called you to walk in, uh, people recognize that and they say, man, there's something going on. There's, There's glory that goes to God. And so he guides us not just for our name's sake, but also for his name's sake. Now, let me explain it this way. I was thinking about it this week that my children, who you saw with their noses plugged, Evie, Jack, and Penelope, they have a first name. And that first name represents the fact that each of them has a unique destiny, direction, calling in life, right? Every one of us, come on, everybody's worth, everybody has value, right? Everybody's made in the image of God. There's not one person that's worth more than another. There's no race or socioeconomic class. we're, We're all the children of God. Do we believe this, okay? And each person has a destiny. We believe you were made on purpose and for a purpose. And that's about you. And it's about what God's called you to do. Everybody gets to be Iron Man in Iron Man movie. You get to be the superhero. Isn't that cool? It is cool. Come on. I'm Thor. I just, I call it. I, that's me. I, I mean, I look like him too. And I mean, especially when I'm, you know, exercising, but you know, it's, <laughs> I'm just having fun. We all have a unique destiny represented in your unique first name, like my kids, Evelyn, Jack, and Penelope, but they also have a last name, a family name a name that they share with me, with Bethany, even though our name is unspellable, unpronounceable, it's still their name, Schmelzer. Evelyn is a Schmelzer, and she has a responsibility, and we're helping guide her to become the best Evie that she can be, but we're also helping shape her and helping challenge her and correct her and teach her and work with her so she can represent the Schmelzer name well. And this is what it means when it, when it talks about for God's name's sake. See, we don't have a last name as a Christian. We don't hyphenate that at the end. You know, I'm Jake Schmelzer slash Christian. We don't do that. But we do have a name, son and a daughter of the kingdom. We are, right? We're sons and daughters of God. We are part of the family of God and we wear his name on our life. And God gets glory and the family is honored when each individual discovers their purpose and is guided. So why does God guide you? Well, it's for your sake, but it's also for his sake. Because when each Christian activates and begins to live out what they're called to do, they give glory to God. So this is powerful stuff here in Psalm 23. We're going to finish the rest of the passage next week. As we finish today, I want to leave you with this thought from C.S. Lewis. He said, The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, beside still waters, he refreshes my soul, and he guides me along the right path for his name's sake. This is your portion, Job. This is your portion as a Christian. This is your portion as a follower of Jesus. We can trust in him and he's got such good things in store as we follow him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray today. Father, I thank you so much for each wonderful person in this room. I 
I know that, Lord, we, we're going through a lot as a nation, going through a lot in this year, even in the world going through a lot, can be very discouraging, very defeating. It can be deflating and taking our energy away. And a lot of people don't have hope. There's conflict, there's all those things. But Lord, as your followers, we just trust in you. We recognize you're our shepherd. We don't lack anything. You have it all. We trust in you. We take that posture of rest today because when we rest in you, then we can do the things you've called us to do by your spirit and by your grace, not our own power, not our own strength, not even our own energy, but we receive your grace that helps us in times of need. We can rise up like on the wings of eagles. We don't, we don't grow faint. We don't grow weary because you're with us, God. You have, you're leading us and guiding us each and every step of the way. So I thank you, Lord, that you're our shepherd. I pray for that refreshing today to come in every heart, every mind. Lord, even give us uh, this, these words, this verse, the rest of this week to repeat, to recite, to uh, recognize as we walk with you that you are our shepherd and we don't lack anything. God, we love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick, last but not least, every week people come to church, either here in person or they come online. If you're joining us online, it's so great. And maybe even watching on a replay. But every single week, people give their life to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're just looking for this rest. You're looking for this hope. You don't even know maybe what the answer is. And I'll just tell it to you really quick. The answer is having a relationship with Jesus where you trust in him for your salvation. And you say, man, I, I, I repent of my sins. Jesus, you gave it all for me. You made a way for me to be reconciled with God you can make that decision today. And I just wanna ask you to pray a prayer with me. Now, this prayer doesn't make you a Christian. It's a marking moment where you're deciding to follow Jesus and asking him to save you. It's, it's that faith you uh, express to God and you're inviting him into your life where he does the work of salvation. But we pray this prayer and I wanna invite you to pray it with me today. Go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes today. If you're here today in the room and you wanna make a decision to follow Jesus, nobody's looking at you. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but I just wanna see. If you're here today, would you just raise your hand? I wanna trust in Jesus today. I wanna put my faith in Jesus. Anybody here today? And if you're online, you can make this decision. Thank you, thank you so much. If you're here today online, you can make this decision with us. Let's all pray this prayer together. If you raise your hand, if you wanna make this choice, let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard. But I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with God. I give you my life, all my hope and trust, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.